Forgive me, Christian friends, for speaking to you this morning as I am, for I am a leper, or homeless, or addicted, or AIDS-infected, or mentally ill. Hear these words from the Old Testament of Leviticus, chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. And they must live outside of the camp. Oh, let us hear the gospel. Mark chapter 1. A leper came to Jesus, begging him. And kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once saying to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You are still speaking, O God. Grant that we might hear you. We pray your spirit will move in human words, in human hearts and minds, and touch us. Amen. Well, hold on to your hat, folks. I am going to open this sermon with a sports reference. (laughs) And I didn't get it from Carter. Friday morning in the Philadelphia Inquirer, somewhere in the not one, not two, but three special commemorative Super Bowl sections of the paper, there was a photo of Najee Good, linebacker of the Eagles. Good had come down from atop the team parade bus, and he'd headed over to the crowds that lined the streets of the parade route. Perhaps some of you were in that crowd and were among the hordes with outstretched arms, waving, reaching to shake hands or exchange high fives with the linebacker. 
In the photo, the faces of these people were alight with excitement. Those who were fortunate enough to touch good would be talking about the moment for years to come. Just as the people in the crowd on the streets in Philadelphia in 2015 who touched the hand or the robe or the arm of the Pope still talk about that moment. Or the crowds who gather behind barricades in Great Britain stretching out their hands to touch Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, anyone who's lucky enough to shake hands with the royal lovebirds will be talking about it for years to come. Wherever Jesus went, he was working his way through, in, over to crowds. People swarmed when he drew near, pressed in on him, reached out to him, grabbed him, grabbed his robe, held up babies for him to touch. And when he did touch them, People talked about it for years. Eventually, they wrote about it. They wrote about it here in Mark. Touch. Something happens in it. Some connection. Some current that doesn't flow in the same way as in seeing or talking on the phone or FaceTime or Skype or even in person. There is something different about touch. Touch conducts some force, particularly if the touch is not a casual brush, but a deliberate move. Touch is a power. Like fire, touch can give life. You and I have sensed the passing of this power through us, not necessarily like an electrical current, but we have sensed something, some courage that passes to us as we grab a hand when we are afraid some strengthening that flows from a grip on the shoulder. I have watched as an agitated patient in the ICU, wired into monitors, tattooed with ports and tubes, visibly relaxes, muscles unclench, breath slows as she feels the gentle pressure of the hand on the head in prayer. Some of you have felt a current flow in you as a child at Barth School has greeted you with a hug. Do you remember that iconic photo of the Ferguson rally in Portland, Oregon, three years ago? The one where we see a white helmeted, armored policemen clasping a weak, weeping black child. What power there was in that touch, which gave comfort not only to that boy, but also to all weeping people, weeping over the divisions in our country. Touch is a power. Like fire, 
it can conduct a life-giving force. But like fire, it can also destroy. It can maim, cripple, damage. The hand-shaped bruise which lies hidden beneath the clothes. The unwanted touch inflicted forcefully against a woman's, a person's will. And the withholding of touch can suck light and warmth out of life like a fire that has grown cold. The cancer patient, the AIDS sufferer, the estranged loved one becomes cast off an exile when others withdraw their touch. As I write this, I am remembering an eight-year-old girl in Jefferson Elementary School in Allentown many years ago. I am looking at my hands. They are crusty with patches of eczema. Robbie Kuntz has just recoiled and refused to hold them in the class circle. I'm in the cloakroom, hiding my face, which has grown hot as the classroom has grown cold. I'm absorbing this new knowledge of what it feels like to be untouchable. Look at your hands. Look at them. These are powerful devices. Watch how Jesus wields the power of his touch. Watch this brief clip from Jesus' life, which is playing here in Mark 1. Watch and learn. Notice, Jesus is deliberate in his use of this touch. He decides, he chooses how, when, where he will deploy the power in his fingertips. He can choose not to touch the leper, and the leper knows it. Jesus can choose to step back as the law allows, even requires. There would be no shame in Jesus tucking his hands in his robe, slipping his hands in his pocket, smiling and passing on. If you choose, you can, says the leper. We can almost hear a moment of pause in the text. What will Jesus do? Imagine if Jesus does not choose to touch the leper. How differently the man's story will unfold. No current will flow from Jesus' touch. The leper will turn away, now cut off not only from community, but also from any hope of ever being restored to his family, his livelihood, 
his life. He will be left as he is. I do choose. The moment passes. Jesus intentionally, deliberately stretches out his hand. It is an act of will, of purpose. And from that gesture, a story of healing, of restoration, a story of resurrection unfolds. In the rounds of our days, in our comings and goings, you and I have opportunities to choose, to deliberately stretch out our hands to touch our loved ones or a stranger or those we find hard to love. How we choose will affect how their stories and ours unfold. Another thing to notice in this clip from Jesus' life, Jesus is bold. When Jesus reaches out his hand and physically connects with this man, he boldly violates the authority's understanding of God's law in Leviticus. He breaks social and cultural and religious norms, just as he will do when he heals on the Sabbath. With one gesture, Jesus declares that caring for broken people must always be of higher priority than fear of breaking the law. And he sets the pattern for those who follow him. His disciples will engage in the same kind of revolutionary, boundary-breaking activity. In every age, Jesus' followers will make bold choices to stretch out their hands, to half-castes, to diseased people, to racial, ethnic minorities, to people pushed to the shadows and margins of society, to enemies, even to people whom the law forbids them to touch. And they will feel the power of a current flowing between them, restoring wholeness to God's world because they were bold enough to stretch out their hands. You and I are Christ's disciples. We can be bold. Christ wants us to be bold. Notice something else. Jesus is sincere in this touch. The gospel writer chooses the Greek word for touch that conveys what kind of gesture this is. It is not a casual one. It is not a glancing tap not a perfunctory pat on the back. It would have been understandable if Jesus had touched the man in such a way. And given Jesus' power, it would have been sufficient. The leper was likely unwashed and putrid with infection. But Jesus apesthized the man. He apesthized the man. That is, he clasps him in some way, holds on to him by the shoulders, by a two-fisted handshake, with an embrace. 
He clings to him in the same way that he will hold a baby in Mark chapter 10 and Luke 18, or grip the fevered hand of Peter's mother-in-law, the way he will clasp the injured ear of the guard in Gethsemane, or the eyes of the blind man, or the tongue of the mute man. It is the same way that others will apostai, cling to him, to his robe, to his feet. Jesus holds on to this unattractive man. His touch is sincere. Across the ages, it will not always be easy for Jesus' followers to imitate their Lord in deploying the power of touch. Such touch will not always come naturally or spring from emotions, especially with people whom we do not like, who make us angry, who disappoint us, even hurt us. Sometimes to stretch out our hand and connect with them will take an act of will, which is more an act of obedience than it is a feeling. Just this past Thursday at community meals, I was greeted by a tall, weathered, regular guest at our tables. The hair on his head and face was scruffy and matted. His teeth were crooked and caked. His clothes were limp with weather and wear. He smelled of soil and streets, of body and breath. He smelled of poverty. He was happy to see me. And he opened wide his arms to greet me and bent over to meet me in an embrace. I hope he did not perceive the moment's hesitation as I chose. Chose against a sideways pat, a perfunctory A-frame hug, but chose instead to lean in for an embrace. I hope he did not sense my effort to hold my breath as I tried to imitate Christ. Sometimes only a feeble imitation of Jesus is the best we can muster. And if our touch is not as sincere as we or he would hope, we can at least be sincere in our desire to imitate him. And Christ will take it from there. The current of Christ's touch must have flowed where mine was spotty. For our guest pulled out of our greeting with a face that just beamed. There is power in touch. And that power is not always our own. 
Do you remember the story of Corey Ten Boom, the survivor in the Nazi concentration camp in Ravensbrück? Years after her release from the camp, she came face to face with a former guard while she was speaking about forgiveness, of all things. It's in a church in Munich. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, she writes in her book, The Hiding Place. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently, she writes. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You will have to supply the feeling. She continues, and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me by the guard. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. The current of the power of touch flows in two directions. One last thing to notice in this clip in Mark, if we disciples want to imitate this beautiful Savior, we must notice what is not there, what is never there. Christ never stretches out his hand to harm, never forces his touch on someone, never pushes people away, never lifts his arm to strike, never raises a sword, never throws a punch. Even when he is angry, he takes his anger out on tables or unjust rulers and systems. Christ always, always stretches out his hand to draw people in or up or out or through. He wields the power of his touch only to overcome every power that hurts or divides us. Disciples, look at your hands. See the power that is in them. Choose to use it and wield it well. Amen. Let us pray. The power of your love in us is untapped. Help us to not be afraid of it, but to use it as you would. Amen. Let us say what we believe. We believe in God above us, 
maker and sustainer of all life, of sun and moon, of water and earth, of male and female, we believe in God beside us, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, born of a woman, servant of the poor, tortured and nailed to a tree, a man of compassion, he died forsaken. He descended into the earth to the place of death. On the third day, he rose from the tomb. He ascended into heaven to be everywhere present, and his kingdom will come on earth. We believe in God within us, the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal fire, life-giving breath of the church, spirit of healing and forgiveness, source of resurrection and eternal life.